If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter 10, and I had anticipated reading verses 1 through 10, but I will start at verse 7 this morning. At verse 7 in John chapter 10. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In his book, God and History, James Montgomery Boyce makes reference to an article written by Margaret Haisley under the title, What's Wrong With Me, Me, Me? What's Wrong With Me? And in this article, Haisley points out, ours has rightly been termed the me generation. And our recent past, the decade of the new narcissism. Narcissism means excessive interest in oneself. The outlook on life to which these designations point is based on the idea that in each side, in, in, inside of each one of us is a glorious, talented, and attractive personality which will be revealed if only we can forget about being courteous, cooperative, and considerate and pursue, proceed to do exactly what we feel like doing. Well, things this, or people, this article was written, or book was published in 1981, 33 years ago. Do you think that things have changed? Yeah? I think it is still a me generation. People, people are still trying to figure out life on their own and trying to do things the way they want to do them. The writer goes on to say that with such a philosophy, however wrong it may be, one would expect that people would at least have the best chances of fulfilling themselves. But it does not work. The cult of self leaves thousands of people dissatisfied. Frustration sets in when you and I seek to fulfill ourselves. Listen to another person by, Steve, by the name of Steve Roberts. He said this, In the age of self, the language is fulfilled I'm sorry, the language is filled with phrases that glorify personal choice above all other values. Self-determination, self-knowledge, self-esteem, self-help, even do-it-yourself. In this climate, the doctrine is safe. No doctrine is safe. No dictate accepted without scrutiny. The touchstone of belief today is the individual, not the institution. What do you hear, folks, in these quotations? What do you hear in these commentaries? I think one of the things that we hear very clearly is that you and I can make life work on our own. And that is what our world tries to do today, to make life work on their own. They believe this is going to be give fulfillment. It is going to mean living happily ever after. But we also hear in these quotations that this doesn't work. It doesn't work. And what happens when it doesn't work? 
It's then, folks, that there is the tendency to blame everything and everyone around us. Because we are not finding what we want to have fulfill us. We blame husband, we blame wife, children, politics, the budget, the world, even God and the word of God and the church. We blame everything. People think I am not at fault because I am right and you are wrong. I can live my life the way I want to live and you can't tell me that it's wrong. That's our world today. This is the way that it works for many people. I heard a well-respected preacher just this last week say something like this. Our, in our world, feelings and life are synonymous. In our world, feelings and life are synonymous, meaning that whatever feels good must be right and it must be good. And so I can do whatever I want and you can do what you want and it's all okay, it's all right. Our world certainly promises us life. Just watch the news or pay attention to the commercials. If it feels right, it's good. And if it satisfies my fleshly desires, it must be right. The commercial tell us, you owe it to yourself, you need it, you must have it. Do your own thing, look out for number one. That's the world's promise of life, isn't it? We have all seen the commercial that is designed to get you to buy a lottery ticket. You know what it says. Imagine the freedom. Imagine the freedom that you would have. You've also heard, you know, the beer commercial that promises you life, it promises you fun, it promises you girls, it promises you the best thing that you could ever have, rejoicing and having all kinds of fun. But it seems, you know, folks, this is nothing new. This has been there for years and years and years. But it seems that today, people simply have the audacity to state openly what they want, and they're determined to get it, no matter what happens. We can only look into our world and see the parades that are taking place, whether it's in Boston or in our own country over here. It doesn't matter, folks. People want their way. And my way is right. Your way doesn't matter. You can have your own way, but I want my way. Let me tell you, folks, Satan did the same thing. The devil did the very same thing. He was called Lucifer. You know what he said one day? He said, I will be like God. I want things differently than what God has given me. And so I'm going to rebel against God. And you know what happened? He was thrown out of heaven. Eve saw the fruit and she saw that it was good to eat and it would have been good for her. Satan had come and told her, you will know good from evil and you will be like God. You will be better than what God has made you to be. And Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden. Cain, remember him? He didn't mind worshiping God. In fact, he wanted to worship God, but he wanted to do it his way, not God's way. And so he did it God or his way, and what happened? He became a murderer. How about King David? Remember him? King David was a good king until he saw a beautiful woman. And he had sex with her. He committed adultery with her, and he committed murder. He wanted to make life work on his own, and it didn't function. It didn't work. 
We could go through all of history, folks, and find individuals and rulers and kings and presidents, prime ministers, who have done the very same thing in, in that they are trying to find life on their own and make it work their way. And yet, I believe that you and I should not put point fingers too far away from us. Because my hunch is, I suspect that we are not much different. Remember the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The psalmist says there is no one who does good, not even one. And in Romans chapter 3 we read, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one who is righteous. I would like to think that none of us has ever committed a heinous crime. But we too, we too try to make life work on our own. Yes, folks, we know. We know it well. We've read it over and over that we cannot make life work on our own. And yet we keep trying it. Tell me if I'm wrong. Isn't it true, folks, I want it my way? And we know that that kind of life is short-lived. Life, real life, is given to us only by Jesus Christ and no one else. He is the one who said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Dear people, if we seek life apart from Jesus Christ, we will not find it. Remember what Jesus said, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Someone has told the story of a father who came to his son and said, Now, son, you need to get a good education. And the son replied, Yeah, dad, but why? And the father said, It is so you can have a good job. And the son replied, Well, yes, dad, but why? Well, so that you can get a high salary. I understand that, but why? And the dad answered, so you can buy whatever you want to buy, live wherever you want to live, drive the car you want to drive, wear what you want to wear. I understand that, but why? Well, so you can have money set aside to pay for your children's education so that you won't have to scrounge and try to work your way through college or their way through college and, and uh, study at the same time. Yeah, dad, but why? So that you can get old and, and can retire and ease and you don't have to go back to work and you can just relax and sit at the beach. I understand that. I can retire and have something extra, but why? So that when you die, son, you can have something to leave. Dear people, what is the deeper question? What is the deeper suggestion in this father's suggestions to his son? Very simple. This is the way you make life work. This is the way you can find real life in this world. But is it really? Is that really life, dear people? What is going to give me life? What's going to give you life? What's going to give me satisfaction? What is going to give me uh, fulfillment? 
Is it just making a lot of money, living a nice home and driving a nice car, drinking beer with the buddies and lying on the beach and doing whatever feels right? Or is there more to life than this, dear people? And dear folks, the question of where we can find life is asked by every single one of us. There is no difference. We all want life. We all want to be fulfilled. We all want to feel good inside. We all want significance. We all want people to see us as worthwhile in this world. And is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. But if we see that as the thing that gives us life, then we're on the wrong track. Too many people who are trying to make life work on their own are finding that life is like a disallowed goal at the FIFA World Soccer game, or at a hockey game, or at a baseball game where the run is disallowed. The cheers begin, the people rise to their feet, and all of a sudden the hands go down because the referee waved his hands and called it off. And then people's cheers are transformed into jeers, and they are ready to fight. Just when we thought that everything was going so well, just when we thought that we have made it big and we had found happiness, something happens that messes things up again. And too often, dear people, it is your fault and my fault because we tried to do it our way. Remember the prodigal son? The uh, story of the loving father, as I like to call it. He wanted to do life his own way, and so he asked for his inheritance. Father, give me what belongs to me. I will go and I will find life. That will be real life for me. That's when I will enjoy life. And so the father gave him his inheritance, and for a bit it went very well. But then he ended up eating what the pigs ate. That's life in the world. That is life when we try to create it on our own. Have you experienced that? Has it happened to you, dear people, as you tried to find life on your own, that you noticed that it didn't work and that you were dissatisfied and miserable? Can you identify with this? Every time you do what you want and you think, then you will be on top of the world, you end up feeling miserable. Too many families figure that life works by arguing, and making sure that things go my way. And folks, I know this is true because I meet too many of them in my counseling and wherever, where people are saying, my husband is at fault, my wife is at fault, I didn't do anything wrong, she did, he did. This is what's happening. That is so much like the article I read to you at the beginning Me, me, me. It is about how I can make life work for me. And if you and I are uncertain about where we stand in our Christian faith, and if we are uncertain, dear folks, about what the Bible says, the manual, the best manual in the world, as to how we are to live our lives, then we are in trouble. Because then Satan will slip slip us imitation life, and we will believe him. He does it every time. 
He slips us imitation life and you and I believe it because he is a liar and the father of lies. He's a liar from the beginning. He will make us think, if I could win the lottery, then I would be so much happier. And you waste your money every time you buy a ticket. Isn't that right? He will come and say to you, what you need is a new car, a new house, a girlfriend, a boyfriend. He might also suggest to you that you need to put your foot down and you have to have your children and your wife obey you. And you've got to be in control of your wife and your children and who knows. Or he comes and says, don't give that money to the church. Look at what you could buy with all that money that you're giving to the church. You know, dear people, we believe many lies. You do and I do, and some of you might say, not me, I can detect the lie from a mile away. Not so. Satan comes as an angel of light, and he comes and deceives, he's very subtle, and we will hardly notice it. And then he goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. And you know when a lion roars? He roars when he's got his prey. So that he's going to keep it for himself and nobody else is going to come. No other lion is going to come and take it away from him. That's how the devil works. I've got you. I want to keep you for myself. He tells us you need to tell others how good you are. Because then they will think better of you. And you know what happens? Then we elevate ourselves. Or he tells you that you need to tear others down so that you will look better. And then we begin to gossip. He tells us you can't lose your reputation and people will avoid you. And you will lose, you know, you will look like a loser. And so we fib a little. You have to keep the rules and the regulations so that you will appear very godly. And then we become legalistic. He whispers to us, if you did not listen to your parents, you would be so much happier. And so we become disobedient. He comes to us and says, take those drugs, have a little smoke, then you'll be in the in crowd. And you will be accepted. And what happens, we become addicted and unfulfilled and miserable. You see, Satan promises you life. But is that life? Is it real life, dear people? You see, Satan comes only to kill and to destroy and to deceive. Satan will even use the ability to learn and to quote scripture to deceive us and to say, look at how people will think of you. If you keep on quoting scripture, they'll think you are so godly. You know the Bible so well. Once we elevate ourselves, dear people, and having to look good in the eyes of others, then we have bought Satan's lies. Did you know that Satan is the greatest preacher of mercy and, and grace? He will come to you and he will tell you, oh, it doesn't matter, it's, it's just a small thing, it's just a little fib, it's not going to hurt anybody, you can do it, everybody else is doing, is doing it, it feels so good, so why not? And then you do it, and then he becomes the greatest preacher of condemnation. He comes to you and says, look at you. You're just a miserable creature. You're not a Christian at all. Look at you. And you know what happens? We believe him again. And then we're miserable again. 
But folks, I can't leave you there this morning because we know that there is good news. There is good news. Very good news. It is to this mixed up, messed up, sinful world where our tendency is to look out for number one and do our own thing that Jesus came to give us life and to show us how to live. He said it, folks. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus came to this messed up world to help us along so that we can find real life and real satisfaction and a life that fulfills, a life that brings us joy. Jesus knew, folks, that we could not make life work on our own. If Jesus had known that we would, that Jesus knew that we could live, make life work on our own, he would have stayed with the Father. He wouldn't have had come this world and be nailed to the cross and have his, his uh, hands pierced and his feet pierced. Folks, he would not have had to do that. He would not have had to suffer being separated from the Father. He could have stayed at home. But he knew you and I could not do it on our own. And so he came so that you and I could have real life, not imitation life. See, I have come that you might have life. In the verses preceding this wonderful verse, this wonderful truth, Jesus says, I am the door and I am the gate to the sheep. And you know what this really means? In the Old Testament or in the time when, when the shepherds would take their sheep up on the hill countryside, they would, in the summertime, they would bring them into an enclosure. And this enclosure would be safe for the, for the sheep, but it had only an entrance that was open, no door there. And so the shepherd would lay himself in that opening. And so he became the door, the gate to the sheep. And you know what that meant for the sheep? It meant protection. It meant safety. It meant peace. It meant guidance. It meant being provided for. It meant being looked after. It meant having good pasture. It meant being able to go in and out and not fear anything. Why? Because Jesus was and is the door. But I must tell you that to have this life, you must know the Son, Jesus Christ. There is no other way. He invites you and says to you and to me, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. As long as you and I try to make life work on our own, sin is going to dine on us. Do you get it? Sin will destroy us, it will dine on us. But when Jesus comes in, he says, I will dine with you. I will sit around the table with you and you will find joy there and you will get to know me and I will get to know you and the two of us will have a wonderful time together. Let me remind us also of Romans chapter 6, 23. Many of you know this verse by memory. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dear people, any time we look for life on our own or in anything else but Jesus, possessions, money, reputation, a perverted lifestyle, or by having to be right, Having things go my way, be that in marriage or any other relationship, looking out for number one, 
having to keep these rules and those rules and these regulations like the Pharisees did. Every time we do these things, we will get paid for it. Did you know that? Every time we do that, we will get paid for it. We will get the wages for our sinfulness and our selfishness. Listen, the wages of sin is death. Say it with me. The wages of sin is death. Sin is a master that pays us wages. Sin pays us for the things we do. But the wage is always death, misery, unhappiness. And ultimately it pays us judgment. But consider the other half of the verse. Aren't you glad for this part of the verse? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful truth, dear people. You see, sin dines on us. And sin pays us the wages for what we do. God gives us eternal life. It's a gift. You don't need to work for it. You can't for it, work for it. You can't pay for it. It's a gift that Jesus gives you and he gives me. He says, I give you life as long as you reach out to receive it. Which one are you choosing this morning? Which one have you been choosing for yourself? Is it life with Jesus or life on your own? King David found out that it didn't work in Psalms 32. He wrote, how blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose sin is covered. And you know, he knew that he had sinned. He also had found forgiveness. But before he confessed his sin, it felt like his bones were wasting away. Can you imagine the pain in your body when you have your bones wasting away? An Indian has described, many years ago, has described the conscience as a three-cornered thing that turns inside every time you do anything wrong. And as it turns, it hurts because this three-cornered thing turns and turns and turns inside of you. But the Indian also said that the longer it turns, the more it wears off. That's true too, isn't it? Now let me ask you this question. When does eternal life begin? When does eternal life begin for you? And I suspect that most of us would answer when we get to heaven, right? Not so. Not so. Eternal life begins where at the moment you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's when we receive eternal life. Listen to John chapter 5, 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. But why are we so often not living as those who have eternal life? Why am I not living as the one who has eternal life? Why are you not living as the one who has eternal life? You know, folks, we imagine that life beyond this life as a life where there will be no corruption, no lying, no stealing, no arguing, nothing like that. Why can't we begin that kind of life now already? Why is it so often that we have to have our own way? 
Why am I so selfish? Why are you so selfish? And I know I'm selfish. I admit that. Ask my wife. Richard L. Evans has said, the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. How true. And how true in the Christian life, dear people. Isn't it true that there are many Christians who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and they feel that that is their ticket to heaven. And so they can live their way, the way they want to live, and they fail to begin to live the eternal life that Jesus has given us here on earth. Why is it so, why is it that we begin or we wait so long to begin to live this life? Why is it? Why is it that we can't live the life that we find in Jesus Christ? A life of fulfillment, a life of joy, a life that brings life to others. Let me quote A.W. Tozer who has said this. He said, millions call themselves by his name, it is true, and pay some token homage to him, but a simple test will show how little he is really honored among them. Let the average man be put to the proof and the question of who or what is above and his true position will be exposed. Let him be forced into making a choice between God and money, between God and man, between God and personal ambition, God and self, God and human love, and God will take second place every time. Is he right? Is he right in your life and in mine? He goes on to say, those are things we will, those things will be above. However the man may protest, the proof is in the choice he makes day after day throughout his life. What choices are we making? Are we making the choices that show and reveal that the life of Christ is in us and that we are really living the life that Jesus wants us to live. What have you chosen? What have I chosen? Have I chosen the life that brings fulfillment? Dear people, don't hear me say this morning that we must be perfect. That is not what I'm trying to say at all. We will not be perfect on this earth, but what I'm trying to hear, have you hear is that we have far too long been making life work on our own without Jesus Christ. We live a life that we think is going to give us glory and peace and quiet and who knows what else, and we're not asking, Jesus, what's the life that you want to give me? And so, dear people, we work it out on our own by hurting others, looking out for number one, not giving to God what belongs to him, and we could go on and on and on. And it always has worked for us and we think it's going to work for us. But that is not real life. Real life is only in Jesus Christ. If it is, it is only in living the way God wants us to live as clearly outlined in the scriptures. Let me ask you another question. Why did Jesus come to this earth? Why did Jesus come to this earth? Tell me, folks, why did he come? So that he could save the lost, so that he could go to the cross and give us eternal life. That is right, but that's not everything. Right. 
Jesus came to this earth to live on this earth among men so that you and I would know how to live. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2.21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus came to live so that you and I would know how to live. And you know, folks, this word for example over here is really the word that is used for a copy book. You know, when you and I were in grade school, we learned to trace the letters after the teacher. And we tried to do it perfectly, just as beautifully as the teacher had written them. So we tried to write them. And that's the example that Peter uses over here. Jesus is our copy book. We are to copy him, his life, as he lived. So we must live on this earth. Can you imagine our marriages, our businesses, our daily activities, and how we relate to kids, to our children, the lifestyle we choose, if you and I were to copy Jesus Christ? Someone has asked this question, would anyone be willing to die for what you have? Would anyone be willing to die for what you have? You know, how many of us have heard of Hudson Taylor? Put up your hands if you've heard of Hudson Taylor. He was a wonderful missionary in China. And the Chinese government didn't like what they saw and what they were hearing. And so they hired an author, an atheist, to put a book together about Hudson Taylor. They wanted him to find the, the uh, you know, to, to do the research on, on Hudson Taylor and then distort his life so that he could discredit Hudson Taylor. You know what happened? The more this author researched Hudson Taylor, the more he became convinced that the Christian life was the real life, and he denounced his atheism and became a Christian. Is that the life you and I live? So that people will leave their life and want what we have? What I'm trying to bring across today, folks, is simply this. Life, real life, a life of joy and fulfillment, a life that others want to have, is only found in Jesus Christ. He said it, I have come that you might have life. He also said, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And he also said, I am the bread of life. Where is life to be found? In Jesus. Dear people, can we refresh our commitment today to tell ourselves and to make that commitment inside that we are going to find that eternal life that Jesus offers and we're going to live it, not things, not me, 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 not the way I want, but the way Jesus wants it. Are you with me? Are you with me? Will you do it today? Amen. Amen. I'd like to ask the worship team to come up for the last song. And I want you to remember that after we sing, 
this song, I'd like you to stay in the auditorium for an announcement. Shall we pray together? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is powerful. It is active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray again that you will use this word that you so clearly spoke, that you have come to give life. Oh, Father, may we indeed engage in that life that you want us to have and to appropriate it for ourselves and live it and live it so that others will see it. Please help us, Lord. Grant us your refreshing and grant us your blessing as we leave from here today, where we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.